Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. We are a day late. That is uh, all entirely my fault. I apologise for that. But we are we are here armed with a ton of news, a ton of fight previews, and uh, a bit of a look back at the uh, the past weekend where we had success for a Brit. We had an incredible performance in the main event, and a former world champion bounced back to get a must-see win for his career. So. Simon Head from here in Rochester in the UK. Chamat Sandu is over there in Toronto, Canada. I don't know what the temperature's like where you are, Sandu. It is stinking hot here. We're recording this at 10.21 p.m. UK time. It is 32 degrees in my house Celsius right now. It is stinking hot over here. What's it like over there? Mate, it's about the same. It's like 32 degrees outside. We're in the middle of summer. It's 5.20, so we're about, obviously, five hours uh, behind you but yeah it's actually nice mate I'm not gonna lie it's not as humid it's not I, I know what it's like you know being being in England the the British summers you, you get the odd day or two the odd week or two where it's where it's lush it's like mid-20s late 20s at, at the most the sun is out there's a nice breeze but most of the time it's humid it's sticky it's disgusting you're complaining and that's that's just typical isn't it you, you, you complain when it's like gray and cloudy and raining during like most of the year and then you complain when it's the summer that's just part of being british i guess i think if if i wasn't moaning about the weather i'd have to hand in my passport i think it's there's 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 literally i don't mind the heat it's it's the humidity that gets me and being british and another thing about being british totally unprepared for this weather the, despite the fact we have access to you know long distance weather forecasts you know this isn't like the 1930s right we knew this weather was coming yet we have two fans in the house and one of them is ver on, on on the verge of dying anyway no one wants to hear my crappy hot weather talk we've got a lot of fights to talk about let's just go straight into what happened last weekend um at the ufc apex the Black Beast beat the Boa Constrictor. It was that clash of styles we talked about on last week's show. It's almost like a UFC 1 throwback. Striker versus Grappler. And uh, for that first round, Alexei Olenek looked like he was uh, he was going to have his way with Derek Lewis. He was absolutely dominating on the mat. And when he has that much control for that long, he normally gets himself a submission. But Derek Lewis just would not let himself get put away. He survived the round. He came back in. Well, he, he started to put it on Alexei Olenek towards the end of that first round. Then he came out in the second round and finished the job. Huge win for Derek Lewis. What did you make of it, Sandy? Yeah, fantastic. On point. And I genuinely thought, like you mentioned, in that first round when Alexei Olenek had taken him down and they were kind of exchanging on the ground, I'm like, oh, God, here we go. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before Alexi does something here and puts Derek Lewis into a submission hold, and, and that's all she wrote. But credit to Lewis. He kind of got through that exchange, started the second round, flying knee, got to the ground, and then all of a sudden it's, uh, it's raining down punches and, and got that stoppage TKO victory in the second round. And, man, Derek Lewis, he's in a nice three-fight win streak here, Simon. He's still ranked in the top five of the UFC rankings. You know, he's... Definitely someone that the UFC has in their roster that kind of escapes the hardcore MMA bubble. There's so many people that that know who Derek Lewis is, know who the Black Beast is, 
They know he's a heavyweight in the UFC. They know about his shenanigans. They know about the kind of stuff he puts out on his Instagram. He got that big plug by Joe Rogan. They know his whole, you know, promo with my balls was hot. And then he compounded that by dropping another line with regards to um, his bowel movements, Simon. Um, now, I'll, I'll say this much. You can kind of tell. You can kind of tell that this was a little bit scripted, a little bit pre-planned. It, 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 didn't, it doesn't look as though it was kind of really genuine and off the cuff, but he did a great job delivering it because as Paul Felder was starting that post-fight interview, Derek Lewis is looking off camera as if he's kind of talking to someone from his team, his head, his head trainer or something. And uh, I'll, I'll give him a, um, a pat on the back for that one. The, the award for... For, for acting in, in, a, in a leading role, male category goes to Derek Lewis there. That was, that was bang on. And, and again, it just went viral, you know. So he, he gets a main event finish on a fight night card, which in its own right, you know, was something that you want to watch, whether it was live or after the fact. And, and then on top of that, he's created yet another bit of social content that went viral again. But let that not disguise the fact that this man is on a three-fight win streak. I think... He's probably just one win away from saying, hey, I want another crack at the title. And with regards to what happens this weekend between DC and Stipe, we know that Francis Ngannou is essentially waiting in the wings. Uh, so we, we kind of know that he is definitely going to be in line to fight for the title next. And there's a, there's a few other players uh, and, and things that need to happen. Will John Jones go up to heavyweight? You know, if DC wins, does he retire and does Stipe retire? We don't know what's going to happen. But I'll tell you what should happen. Derek Lewis, Curtis Blades. That is the fight to make. They're both hot. They're both coming on nice win streaks. And it will be interesting to see if Derek's ground game, his takedown defense, has genuinely improved to that elite level because Curtis Blades will definitely test him there. And I think that's the challenge that I want to see Derek overcome before he would take on the likes of, say, um, a DC. Not that he would probably end up fighting DC again, but we saw what happened the last time he fought for the for the UFC Heavyweight Championship. Da Daniel Cormier took him down with ease, and it was all she wrote. And that's been kind of the one asterisk on DC's record on uh, on Derek Lewis's record. It's everyone knows he is susceptible to being taken down, and if you know what you're doing, you're probably going to tap him out or you're going to finish him on the ground because it's, you know, not something that he's been show He hasn't shown us enough of an improvement. But that being said, this weekend's uh, performance was a step in the right direction, so to speak. So all credit to the Black Beast. Yeah, he also made history as well. The most knockouts by a heavyweight in UFC history. That is no mean feat. And that is a record owned by, by Derek Lewis. I actually have a different view when it comes to what he should do next and who he should fight next. The The nature of the heavyweight division is such, and you know we'll go on and talk about the Stipe DC fight in a bit, but there is a very real possibility that both the guys in that UFC 252 main event do not continue after Saturday night. They may both end up retiring at the end of that fight, irrespective of the result. That then means... That Francis Ngannou, who I think is a consensus number one contender, below those two, needs a dance partner. That dance partner for me should be Derek Lewis. I think Derek Lewis, he's got the most knockouts in UFC history. It is a far more sellable fight than the Curtis Blades fight. Yeah, Curtis Blades is in decent form. 
But Curtis Blades versus Francis Ngannou is not in any way a sellable fight. We've seen that fight twice. And that fight did not go well for Curtis Blades on both occasions. He got absolutely smashed twice. So that is an almost an untenable position uh, when it comes to Curtis Blades. If his next fight involves him facing Francis Ngannou, the chances are the UFC will go a different route if there is an option there. And that option is Derek Lewis. Now, the caveat to that is we've also seen Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou. And that stunk the place out at the T-Mobile Arena because I spent all week bigging it up. Um, at uh, when was it UFC 226 back in uh, International Fight Week in 2018 and it was the fight that couldn't fail it was the fight that was going to deliver explosive explosive knockouts and uh, you know it, it, it was just going to be one of those I was there moments it turned out to be I was there when Ngannou and Lewis laid an egg in the middle of the T-Mobile arena the, the, the fight stank it was awful one of the worst fights I've ever seen in the UFC they cannot be that bad again. And if if there is a belt on the line, um, either the actual title or because the two guys at UFC 252 have yet to fully make their minds up, you could easily put an interim belt on that uh, as a placeholder. That's the fight I would do. I would do Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou too, even though the first one sucked. Um but what it does mean is Derek Lewis is right up there. Whether it's Curtis Blaze, whether it's Francis Ngannou, his next fight is an absolutely huge fight. And if he wins it, he's either going to be fighting for the belt next or he's going to be going home with a belt, I think. That's pretty much what we're looking at. Um, Alexei Olenek, uh, I think it was his 74th career fight or something crazy like that. Absolutely astounding, really. Uh, he was competitive in that fight and he could easily have got that win. So he's still a factor in that heavyweight division. Someone else who's still a factor... At 185 pounds is Chris Weidman. He moved up to light heavyweight. Uh, it did not go well for him. Uh, got starched by uh, Dominic Reyes. Moved back down to middleweight and has got himself back in the mix. He beat Amari Akhmedov by unanimous decision. 29-27 twice and 29-28. Um, he's back in the mix again. He beat a guy who is very, very tough to beat. He did the job. Wasn't the prettiest. He's back in the mix. And I'm wondering where he goes now, because he obviously wants to carry on. He wants to work his way back to the belt. You take a look at who, who's up there in the middleweight division, and it's a, it's an absolute shark tank. I really don't know who you put him in with. But then came the news either today, was it this morning? Luke Rockhold, who many people thought was going to hang was 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 going to hang him up, he's announced he's coming back. Um, and I think he's coming back at middleweight. He moved, he's another one who moved up to light heavyweight. Didn't go very well for him. So he's now coming back at middleweight. Why not Why not do those two again? Stick them back in the cage again. One, give one of them a chance to catapult themselves up there and uh, have another crack at that 185-pound title. Uh, two guys probably approaching the back end of their careers started to take some losses that you wouldn't have expected from them in years past. This is probably their last roll of the dice. Why not stick them both in there? It's a fight that will sell. Could headline a fight night card or be a strong main main card fight on a pay per view. Um, that's what I would do with Weidman next. What do you reckon, Sandu? Have you is have you got a route plotted for him? Because he's at, he had an awful run of form, but now he's got that win against a really solid middleweight. Where do you pitch him next? 
mate, you're bang on the money. It has to be the Luke Rockhold fight. Like you said, both former champions, they fought before. We know the UFC loves to make rematches because there's a, there's a built-in storyline there. It's very easy to promote and easy to sell. And like you said, that's an, a banker fight night main card um, headliner. Or it's a, a fantastic addition to a pay-per-view offering on a main card, right? And given where they both are, Chris Weidman's 36, uh, Luke Rockhold, I believe, is in his mid to late 30s as well. And it's kind of like a, a gut check time. You know, are you still in there and able to compete with the very best of the division? Chris Weidman proved that he's still, I would say, a legitimate top 15 guy uh, after his performance against Omari Akhmedov. Wasn't the, wasn't the best, wasn't the prettiest. It wasn't a Weidman performance of five, six, seven years ago, but he's 36. He's at the tail end of his career and he was coming off a horrendous run of form. So hopefully that's done a lot for his confidence. And hopefully that's like a stepping stone to try and get back to or get as near as possible to what he was like, you know, five, six years ago. I think for Weidman, that's a, that's an easy um, decision to make, to, 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 to be able to run it back against a guy you lost to, easy. For Luke Rockhold, though, it'll be interesting to see how, how things plays out, play out because... I saw today him mention the likes of Darren Till and Jack Hermanson. So he's kind of looking in a bit of a different direction where he can try and maybe get back right into the mix of things with maybe a top five guy, maybe get a, a cheeky quick win. And then all of a sudden he's thinking, right, now let me fight Paolo Costa or Israel Adesanya and make a run for the title. So I think you're going to have to do a little bit of work if you're the UFC to try and convince Luke Rockhold to take on Weidman. That being said, given Chris Weidman's performance, and if I'm Luke Rockhold, knowing I've already got a win over this guy, and the fact that he looks the way he did, that might be um, some low-hanging fruit for Luke Rockhold to, to ponder as well. And again, no knock on Chris Weidman whatsoever. I think when fighters are coming off uh, a losing streak, it's more about their confidence and their ability to still hang with the absolute best. Uh, and then when you compound that with injuries and you know a long career and age and things of that nature... It just gets tougher. It just It's just natural. It's going to get difficult and more tougher the, the older you get. But it was nice to see Chris Weidman um, get back in the win column. And I'm curious to see you know how things play out uh, for him next. I'd, I'd like to see him get back in there sooner rather than later. Uh, maybe in one of these uh, October, November cards. And yeah, Luke Rockhold, the rematch, sign me up. Yeah, I, I, I think it's an easy one to book. I mean, Rockhold, not shy of confidence, let's be honest. Uh one of the most self-confident fighters I think we've had in the UFC in many years. I mean, anybody who steps through the cage and fights have got to be pretty pretty confident in their abilities. But Rockhold has always, his self-confidence has always been sort of next level, bordering on the arrogance. Um, he knows that he can beat Chris Weidman because he's done it once. Um, Chris Weidman can look back at that performance against Rockhold at UFC 194 and think, I screwed up in that fight. Chris Weidman was winning that fight through a ludicrous spinning back kick that he never should have thrown. Like, a fighter like Wyman doesn't throw spinning back kicks. He threw a spinning back kick. Rockhold took him down and smashed him. Um, and uh, that was basically the turning point in that fight. And I think that's a fight that Wyman would absolutely love to get back. So from his side of it, I think he'd have no problem putting his, uh, his name on the dotted line and... 
the confident man that Rockhold is, I think if he's if he's promised a top contender if he beats Weidman, I think he'll have no problem putting his name next to him. So um, to me, that is an absolute no-brainer. And amazingly, that win by by Weidman at the weekend was only his second win since he beat Vitor Belfort in May 2015. Can you believe that? Incredible, incredible. That He's won two of his last six. and uh, Sorry, two of his last seven. And the five that he lost have all been by KO or TKO. He's been finished in each and every one of them. Um, gone past Amari Medov, Back in the mix again. Um, I think that fight with, with Rockhold is absolutely the one to make. Speaking of middleweights... We are the Brit Pack, and uh, one of our own was in the cage on Saturday night, and he did the business. Darren, the dentist, Stewart stepped in there against Mucky Patolo, who had a little bit of uh, a little bit of hype behind him. He's come through the contender series. Uh, he's got the he's got the fun nickname Coconut Bombs. He's got some heavy hands on him, uh, but Darren Stewart just did the business. He's got this reputation of being a striker, and he is predominantly a striker. That's his main. His main skill, but it, he showed on Saturday night that it isn't his only skill. He finishes Maki Patolo inside one round by a guillotine choke submission and uh, had a bit of a fun press conference moment with our friend Kenny Hathaway from MMA Junkie. Um, he was a bit disappointed. He couldn't find any white chocolate in Las Vegas. And I think Kenny, I think Kenny might have hooked him up. Um, I don't know if you can get Milky Bars stateside, but um, Milky Bars were on Kenny that night. So, but um, yeah, no, the dentist um, doing the business and, and, and getting himself an important win because, uh, you know, we spoke about him in Cage Warriors. He had that he had that random return to Cage Warriors where he lost against Bartos Fabinski. And it was like, oh, you know, absolutely disastrous for him. We bounced back. He's got a good win against a hyped prospect. And now people know this is a legitimate danger man at 185 pounds. I'm looking forward to seeing who he gets booked with next, but a huge win for Darren Stewart. Yeah, absolutely. And important to note that this was his first win by submission. So it kind of just shows the progression of him as a mixed martial artist. And and I I believe he even talked about how he had been working specifically on that guillotine choke a lot. Uh, in practice so I'm sure that would have been quite rewarding for him to actually put it into practice in in, in reality in you know in an actual fight and pull off the the win and uh, got to also note um, he did dedicate um, a lot of his post-fight interview to the um, the memory of his good friend Jairu Shepard who uh, another Brit a Londoner who unfortunately was a victim of uh of a uh, of knife crime, you know, he was uh, stabbed to death, uh, murdered, and um, it's it has kind of reverberated um, quite a lot in the MMA community, especially in the UK MMA community. And um, Darren Stewart, being a close friend, kind of showcased that uh, that moment by by wearing a T-shirt um, in memory of Jairu. And uh, yeah, that was a uh, I'm sure a, a tough emotional moment for him but also just a build up you know um it's always tough when you lose someone that you're very close to in the manner in which uh shepherd w- was uh, taken from this earth and um but putting the spotlight back on on darren stewart yeah like you said simon huge win important win great to see him get a finish and he did it in the fight capital of the world that doesn't hurt right and um and who knows 
he even said, hey, listen, you know, he's uh, he's pretty good to go. Didn't take any knocks. Um, and hey, if in two or three weeks there's a, a middleweight that perhaps, you know, falls off the card and they need someone to jump in, the dentist may be your man. Uh, so, so it looks like he's going to stick around for a little bit, um, you know, keep his weight um, under control. And uh, who knows, he may be able to get a cheeky second uh, fight during this current run of events uh, at the Apex. But yeah, good to see, always good to see a Brit get a win, uh, especially on a main card. So good, good, good looks for the Darren Stewart there. Yeah, and you know, this is a guy who, his UFC career couldn't have got off to a, a more disastrous start. He, he looked like he won his first fight against Francie Marbaros and um, it was then overruled by the Brazilian commission at the time due to an accidental headbutt. It was, it was, it was a ludicrous decision. I still maintain to this day that he got robbed of a win for that fight. They then had a rematch. He lost a decision against Barroso in, in London, which was an absolute crippler. He then went on to lose twice more by submission, Carl Robson and Julian Marquez. So he's lost, he's basically gone four fights without a win in the UFC. That's, that's, that's tough sledding at the start of your UFC career. Um, but he got a knockout or TKO of Eric Spicely. He finished Charles Bird. He took Edmund Shabazian to a split decision in a very, very close fight where Shabazian, who has got this, this reputation of being, you know, this, this striking phenom, didn't want to stand with him. Just went to the wrestling and tried to grind him against the cage for for for, for three rounds, but he's in, he's in great form. I mean, he's got five he's five wins from his last seven, um, and he got himself a performance of the night bonus for his win over Maki Patolo. Um, Yana Kunitskaya fought on on the fight night card, got a win over Julia Stoylarenko. Um, not a an opponent who was going to really do much for Yana Kunitskaya's career moving forward it was just one of those one of those fights she just had to negotiate her way through she did that got a unanimous decision win and just talking about bonuses there Benil Dariush under any other circumstances would have been walking home with a 50 a check for 50 grand in his back pocket but he missed weight on the Friday and as a result his stunning first round spinning back fist knockout of Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman uh Earned him no bonus money, which it's it's harsh, but I guess that's that's the way the cookie crumbles. This is the way they do it in the UFC. Everybody knows the rules going in, uh, and uh, Benil Darius actually in his post-fight press conference, being the guy that he is, said, "Okay, I understand that I shouldn't get the money. Give the money to the other guy. Give the money to my opponent. He still showed up, and uh, he had to suffer as a result." Uh, so give him my bonus money, which I thought was a nice, a nice gesture from one of the nice guys of the sport. But it seems like every time we get a UFC event, something crazy happens. That Benil Dariush, he's known as being an elite grappler, but he's got this this happy habit of producing stunning knockouts every now and again. He's he's must must see TV. He's the most unassuming guy you could ever meet. But when he gets in a cage, great things happen. He's I, I love watching him fight. Yeah, I mean, first of all, when it initially happened, from the angle that I viewed it, I thought it was a spinning back elbow. And it's only when you kind of watched, you know, the replay and in slow motion that you realise it was more the forearm and the fist area uh, that kind of connected with Scott Holtzman before he dropped. 
highlight real stuff. You know, you don't really see spinning back fist knockouts. You see a lot of spinning back fist land, uh, but not so clean and so flush where it completely, you know, knocks out your opponent. So kudos to Benio Darius for pulling that bad boy off. That was wonderful to see. And um, yeah, overall, Simon, I thought it was a pretty good card, to be honest with you. Uh, just overall, there was tons of finishes. It was a fun card. Um, you know, with the UFC at the moment, especially with their roster and who they have available to them, some of these fight night cards, you could kind of, you know, if you're a, if you're a MMA fan or just a UFC fan, you might, nah, you know what, I might be able to skip this one and maybe do something else with my Saturday night or um, maybe I'll just kind of catch up on a Sunday or check out social media and see what the results were. But I, I, I tell you what, so far, so far, all of these events have been producing some awesome stuff. You've got you've got some great finishes. You've got some great storylines. You're getting fighters that are getting a profile or they're getting a bit of a, a new look or a resurgence. Um, and it's fantastic. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm loving these cars at the moment. And it's a nice kind of, I guess, table setter uh, that we've had uh, as we head into. I mean, you know, if Derek Lewis, Alexi Olenek, two top 10 heavyweights were, you know, going at it in a fight night card, this weekend, Simon, we have got arguably the most important, the most significant Certainly in the UFC, heavyweight title fight in the promotions history. You can make a strong case this might be the most important heavyweight title fight in MMA history because the winner of Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic in this trilogy fight is going to be able to make a very strong case and those that are involved in the sport from a fan or a media perspective will also be able to make a very strong case that the winner of this fight is the greatest heavyweight of all time. With all due respect to Fedor Emelianenko, who is pretty much the only other contender that you could slap, slap into that kind of conversation. And the, the one slight that he has is he never fought in the UFC. So we just didn't know how he would have performed with some of the fires that the UFC have had uh, during this run. That's going to be up for debate. But man, I am absolutely buzzing for this fight this weekend. How are you feeling about it, Simon? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I, I was fortunate enough to be there at the first one, and um, I was excited for that fight. You know, it, they 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 called it the super fight because it really was a super fight. You know, Stipe Miocic at the time had done something that no other heavyweight in the UFC had done, which is win three. Uh, defend his belt three times back to back. No, no, no uh, champion had ever done that. Daniel Cormier was undefeated as a heavyweight. He moved down to two hundred five and had that run at two hundred five, uh, where basically only John Jones could beat him. Um, then he moved up. I've always thought heavyweight is Cormier's best weight class. Um, I think that's where he is at his best. And the way Cormier went into that fight, where you can. I remember him saying, you know, the bookies the bookies are setting their odds for this. And I remember him saying at the open workouts, he said, there is literally only one way Stipe Miocic can beat me. He's not going to outwork me over five rounds. He's not going to out-wrestle me and grind me down. And he said, you know, he, he won't get, a, he won't get a, uh, a submission against me. So the only way he can beat me is to knock me out. And I, I trust, you know, I, I, that that is not going to happen. And that is how it turned out. He went in there, knocked him out. Champ champ. Was he champ champ? Yeah, he was champ champ at the time. You know, and uh, 
absolutely huge. You know, it was a moment in time. It's probably the highest moment of, of Daniel Cormier's athletic career. Then we had the rematch. Um, just about a year later, I think it was like 10 months later or something, um, nine months later at UFC 241. And again, I asked, I was, I was at the press conference ahead of that fight and Daniel Cormier was pretty dismissive of Steve Pamiocic. I asked him outright. I said, how, how, how do you, you know, how, how do you approach this? You know, he's not, no, no two fights are the same. How are you going to deal with Stipe this time? And he said, I've watched Stipe and I just don't think he's good enough to beat me. Which is a, an amazing thing to say. You know, he's not good enough. This is the, the, like the, the best heavyweight statistically in UFC history. Not good enough. And obviously then I, I pushed it straight to Stipe and said, what do you think? And you know what Stipe's like. He's like, well, you know, I'm obviously not good enough to beat him, but you know, I'm going to go in there and trust me, I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to finish him. And then that fight was absolutely brilliant. You know, cause, because Lewis had finished Miocic early in the first fight, Every time they got close, we were on tenterhooks. Is he going to catch him early again? Is he going to catch him in the clinch again? Miocic fought brilliantly, went to the body shots and transformed the fight. Uh, and uh, it was a great, great uh, example of a fighter using their own fight IQ in the middle of a fight, spying an opening, changing his tactic and hitting the jackpot. That is exactly what Stipe Miocic did. Brilliant performance, and he goes into this fight as the defending champion. I would argue, though, without going on too long, I would argue that Daniel Cormier isn't necessarily the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time, or isn't the greatest heavyweight of all time if he wins. Yeah, he's fought a lot of heavyweights earlier in his career, but a lot of the guys he fought were on the way down. At the top of his career, well, you know, where he's dealing with fighting at the top in the UFC championship level, he's only fought two guys at heavyweight. He's fought Derek Lewis and Stipe Miocic twice. Um, so I don't know if that resume is strong enough to stack up against Fabricio Verdun, for example, and the names that he's taken out over the course of his entire career. I think Daniel Cormier is a better fighter, but resume versus resume at heavyweight. I think Verdun has got a strong argument. I think if Stipe Miocic wins... I think, yes, I think you could say he is the best heavyweight of all time because he has beat, with the exception of Fedor, I think he's beaten everybody else. So it's hard generationally to compare when you've got someone like Fedor. Um, but if we're looking through the UFC lens, then I think Stipe Miocic will be undisputed the greatest heavyweight of all time if he wins on Saturday. DC, there's an argument you could certainly have, but I don't think it's as clear cut as it would be if Stipe won. Uh, I'd love to know who you think is going to win, though, Sandu. I'm leaning Stipe, but very, very slightly. And and just to kind of come back to, to your point there, I agree. I think Stipe, without a shadow of doubt, has the strongest case, especially if he wins. I think the one thing you could say to to, to, to back up the DC argument is the two. if he wins, that's two wins over Stipe, who most people would consider the greatest heavyweight of all time, right? So it's a bit of MMA math um, but yeah, I'm slightly leading Stipe, but I would not be surprised whatsoever if Daniel uh, Cormier got the win. Um, the odds are kind of very kind of uh, tight uh, and have been since uh, the, the fight was first announced. Interesting to see how it's going to shake out in the smaller cage, uh, which is a, a new wrinkle to the 
to the story here. And uh, I guess the biggest storyline, which we haven't dis- kind of discussed yet, Simon, I'd love to kind of get your take on it, is for Stipe Miocic, he's basically gone on record and said this isn't going to be his last fight. So we kind of know, win or lose, we, we, we're fairly confident he's going to stick around for a little bit longer, right? But for Daniel Cormier, that is the story here. The story is, this is his very last fight. This is his final competition. However, I beg to differ. I think if he wins, he'll stick around. I think the opportunity to welcome John Jones to heavyweight, there's just too much money. There's too much of uh, an epic storyline, just given their history. It'll be one of the biggest selling pay-per-views of all time, right? Um, I mean, you, you name it, you, 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 anything that any fight promotion would want to check off a list of things that would make for a successful pay-per-view and a successful event, John Jones versus Daniel Cormier at heavyweight would essentially tick every box because that's, like you said, Daniel Cormier's best performances and his, yeah, his best performances have all been at heavyweight. He's a better fighter at heavyweight. He was depleted at 205 and it kind of almost, um, I guess, compounds how great he did at light heavyweight. The fact that he had to deplete himself so much and the, and the only loss he took was against John Jones, the, the arguable GOAT, right? Um, but let me pose a question to you, Simon. If Daniel Cormier wins, does he retire in the octagon? Does he retire a couple of days later? Is there a big press conference or some sort of announcement a la GSP in the coming weeks and months that Daniel Cormier is going to hang up his gloves? Or do you think he'd stick around for one more fight at heavyweight and that being the John Jones fight? What do you think? It's a really tough one because... He's been telling us for months that this is it. And if there is ever a situation where the Jones fight is really on the table, you would imagine the UFC will have put it to him by now. Whether it's uh, if you win the title, Jones is ready. Jones wants this. Um, But we're still getting the narrative that DC is retiring. So... I don't know. I don't know. I can see it going a number of ways. Here's what I think. If DC is as clear on this as he seems to have been, then we'll see a retirement in the cage afterwards. I think if he loses, he will retire anyway. If he wins, that'll be interesting to see. But my my gut reaction is that he will retire in the cage on Saturday night. But if he's already had the conversation behind behind the scenes and the John Jones fight is there, and he knows the John Jones fight is there. Um, then that I think comes into play if he doesn't lay the gloves down and he doesn't announce it. If he says, I need to take some time away and think about it, because he's going to get asked. If he doesn't announce it, they're going to ask him, right? So how he reacts in that situation will be very interesting and very telling. Because the only reason for him not, I mean, like he's not going to fight Francis Ngannou. That's just not going to happen because that is a fight with almost no upside for Daniel Cormier. I don't think. Um, he's got nothing to prove against Francis Ngannou. If John Jones is in the mix, that's a fight that he might hang around for. So if he hedges his bets in any way this weekend, that tells me that the Jones fight is there. That's 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 how I feel about it. So 
If we get a definitive, yep, I'm done, then I think he's done. If we get any kind of wavering, then I think that maybe that John Jones fight could be imminent. But I think this all hinges on DC winning the fight on Saturday. If DC loses the fight, I think all of that goes away. Um, uh, John Jones may then turn his attention to Stipe Miocic. They have had words in each other's direction in the past. So who knows? But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see how this fight goes. Just looking at the odds, um, almost every bookmaker is giving Daniel Cormier like the like the finest the finest of margins of favoritism. So he's the very narrow favorite. Some bookmakers have got it absolutely dead level um with the odds. Like Own Bet, for example, have got it level. Unibet, narrowly Cormier. Bet uh Bet Online have got Cormier. But they're all it's it's minuscule, minuscule uh, amounts. So it's basically a coin flip fight. I think Steve Miocic wins the fight on Saturday night. I just think, I just think that the only thing that had me sort of second guessing myself was when you mentioned that it's a small cage, and I had I hadn't even considered that because I think that helps DC. I think if you're Daniel Cormier and you like to fight in a phone box, then the smaller cage is what you want. Stipe likes to work at range, can move in and out, use his boxing, keep people on the end of his jab. I don't think he particularly wants to work in the clinch too much. Certainly not not against someone as powerful as DC. So that might be a factor, and uh, maybe that 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 sort of kind of reduces my my sort of favoritism towards Stipe a little bit. But I've gone with Stipe. I've gone on record as picking Stipe. So um, that one's going to be really interesting, and uh, I I cannot wait for that fight. It's going to be an absolutely brilliant fight, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna see some. Legacies are going to be written on Saturday night, Sandu, and uh, you know two two veterans of the sport, um, and uh, one of them is probably going to walk away with sort of heavyweight goat status and a belt, and the other one's going to walk away as one of the best heavyweights to ever do it, but ultimately will have fallen at the final hurdle, sort of thing. The co-main event is a completely different feel. We've got Sean O'Malley, who is one of the shining rising stars of the UFC came in through the contender series. One of the first stars really to emerge from the, the, uh, the Dana White Tuesday night contender series and has just worked his way up. He's had a bit of time away. He's had injury trouble. He had an anti-doping issue that has since been resolved. He's now back in the mix again and he's facing a really dangerous guy, Marlon Vera, who is, is sort of floating around those UFC bantamweight rankings. He's the sort of guy that no one really wants to fight. Sean O'Malley gives no shits whatsoever. He doesn't care. He'll take on anybody. Um, if he puts Marlon Vera away in the same sort of fashion that he put Eddie Wineland away last time we saw him, then O'Malley himself has said that he does. he's in no rush to get to the top. He just wants to gradually make improvements and get you know work his way up there by merit. But it's going to be hard to deny throwing him in with the top guys. If he gets another big KO this weekend... I think you know the clamour for him to take on one of the one of the top thirty fivers is going to be is going to be too much to resist. I think, but he's a superstar in the making, and he's he's already generating a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of noise already. Um, and uh, he's gonna he's gonna be one of the we've got Israel Adesanya in the middleweight division, uh, and I think Sean O'Malley is going to be part of that 
that new breed of superstar fighters over the next three, four, five years. Um, I'm expecting him to get a win on Saturday. It's, uh, he's always fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, if he wins here, you could probably make a good case that he's the comeback fighter of the year. And by comeback, I mean, look, he fought in March of 2018 and then he had the whole issue with the USADA and the suspension and all the rest of it, right? And then didn't fight at all in 2019. 2020, mate, he's coming all guns blazing. He gets a first round TKO win over Jose Alberto Quinones. Then he gets that spectacular knockout of Eddie Wineland at UFC 250 back in June. And like you said, if he, if he gets another highlight reel knockout, especially if it's in the first round, mate, you've you got to just put the, the rocket boosters on him, right? You've got to do what you do with Conor McGregor all those years ago. This guy's undefeated. He's getting you know, knockouts left, right, and center in the cage. He's great on social media. He's doing a lot of work outside of you know what he has to do in terms of being a mixed martial artist. He's, the brand of the Sugar Show is fantastic. It's different. It's unique. He's got a completely different uh, personality to anybody else in the UFC roster. He's oozing charisma. I mean, he ticks every single box. Plus, he's only 25 years old, right? So he's someone that you could really you know, put a lot behind knowing you can get like some solid mileage out of this kid, right? Um, I think it's a winnable fight for him. I expect him to win. And then, yeah, I think after that, you got to just, you got to put the rocket boost on this kid, man. Like he's, he's having some jabs with Cody Garbrandt, who we now know is going to be dropping down to flyweight to fight for the title against uh, Figueredo. Uh, but it seems as though those two are going to be on, on a collision course sooner rather than later as well. What weight class that ends up being at, what, what, what we don't know at the moment. He's just fun. He's fresh. And I can't wait. And look, I, I tell you what, this is a bit of a top-heavy card. We know we're all buzzing for Stipe versus DC3. That's obviously um, top of the bill. That's what's selling this card. And God forbid something happens in the coming days where one of those two guys you know, falls out and because then that would literally capitulate the entire uh, pay-per-view offering here. Um, but the Sugar Show and Sean O'Malley fighting Marlon Vera, that is, for me anyway, the big other fight on this main card. And um, Marlon Vera, man, I'm telling you, he's going to have a whale of a time if he shuts up Sean O'Malley, because they've been trading some barbs. I think Sugar Show, uh, Sean O'Malley actually uh, dyed his hair into the, the the Ecuador flag colors, which was an interesting way to take a jab at Chito Vera. And look, you know, uh, Vera is only 27 years old himself. It's not as if he's, you know, passed it over the hill. Yes, he's coming off a loss, but prior to the loss against Song Yedong, he was on a five-fight win streak. Um, very capable fighter, has a, a fair amount of knockouts and submissions um, on his record. So I think this was a good move by the UFC matchmakers to see if Sean O'Malley has now, you know, leveled up, so to speak. And uh, man, if he gets a an, an, an big win, especially with an event and a car that's got so many eyeballs on it because of that main event, it'll be interesting to see where he goes from there in 2020. Yeah, he's 12-0. He looks absolutely superb every time we've seen him. He seems to just make a developmental jump from fight to fight. He, he never looks like the same guy fight. He always looks a grade up, you know, whenever we see him. Marlon Vera's been around a bit. He's won a few, he's lost a few, but he's 
He's been in he's been in solid form over the last few years. He's a dangerous guy. Um but I think Sean O'Malley needs to be putting him away if he wants to be taking on the you know the top guy soon. And yeah, the Cody Garbrandt thing. I'm kind of disappointed that Garbrandt's off off to flyweight uh, to fight for the belt because that's the fight I want to see. I want to see Sean O'Malley versus Cody Garbrandt. I think we will eventually see it anyway, uh, irrespective of how how Cody gets on at, at 125 pounds. I think he's better off at 35, um, and eventually he will come back to bantamweight. And uh, Sean O'Malley, I think, will probably be waiting for him. Um, there's been a bit of a reshuffle. On this on this fight card, um, the Iron Kutsalaba versus uh, Magomed Ankalaev fight has fallen by the wayside, um, which is a shame because there was an awful lot of bad blood between those two. The first fight stopped very early, illegal shots from uh, Kutsalaba, um, and uh, it was it was it was all warming up to be another absolute banger. Uh, and I think Kutalaba's tested positive for COVID, I think. So, uh, so that fights off. Um, so we've had a bit of a re a, a reshuffle on the card. Herbert Burns, Daniel Pineda is now on the main card, but after that, and before the Sean O'Malley, Marlon Vera card is a huge fight at heavyweight. Former UFC heavyweight champion, Junior Dos Santos is taking on biggie boy, Jarzinho Rosenstreich, who's looking to bounce back from his first career loss. Uh, Rosenstrike is an absolute monster in the stand-up. Junior Dos Santos doesn't love... Uh, sorry, he doesn't know anything other than to just stand and bang with someone. This is going to end with someone waking up looking at the ring lights. Um, my gut feeling says it'll be JDS getting knocked out. I have a feeling. Um, even though I think he may... I'm going to quickly check the odds while I'm talking to you. He no 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 Julio dos Santos is the slight underdog for this fight, which is kind of reflective of of my opinion, but which is unusual. But um, yeah, I think I think Rosenstruck, um could well get himself another big win here. Um, but whichever way this goes, Sandu, I think someone's getting knocked out. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, mate. This is as advertised. This is not going the distance. Uh, they both love to stand and bang. Um, Big, this is a big fight for, for Biggie Boy because obviously, you know, the Francis Ngannou knockout was his very first loss in uh, pro MMA. Uh, so it's always, I'm always curious to see how someone comes back from their first loss specifically in this sport, even though, even though if they've got a, a background in other combat sports. And, and also in the UFC, you know, this is the big spotlight, right? This is what we're talking about. You take an L in the UFC uh, in, a, in a main event, you know, people, people remember that. So let's see how he bounces back. And yeah, for Junior DeSantos, he's 36 years old. He's got, got a bit more um, mileage on him than uh, Rosenstruck does. And he himself is coming off two TKO losses, one to Francis Ngannou and the other to Curtis Blade. So he badly needs a win. Like, he's taken some losses before. He's alternated losses to Kane Velasquez, uh, Stephen Miocic and, and Alistair Overeem. But he's never lost two in a row uh, until this recent run to Ngannou and Blades. And if he loses a third in a row, that might be, you know, something for him to consider with regards to whether he wants to fight. Does the UFC keep him around? Do they let him go? It's interesting, though, because you look at his social media profile, some of these pictures, he looks very svelte. He looks the most cut and slimmed down as he's ever been. And, like, I'm curious to see what he weighs in at. Uh, on Friday, Simon, because I'm wondering if 
he's got his weight down to to then potentially see if he can actually do a weight cut to 205. Uh, and I'm not sure what the answer to that question is. I have no idea if he can make 205, if he feels confident enough to make light heavyweight. Maybe that's a question the media will ask him uh, when they get an opportunity at some point this weekend. Maybe we'll get some answers. But if he can cut down to 205, that's got to be a mouth-watering prospect for him, considering how much power he has. He'd obviously have a bit of a a weight and size advantage over most light heavyweights, and it'll be a nice way for him to almost hit the reset button on his career if if he loses this weekend. But for for now, for, for the time being, he's still at heavyweight, and he's got a big challenge and a big task ahead of him with Rosenstruck. So, uh, yeah, this is, again... Uh, I hate to, to use a cliche uh, line, and it seems like we say it all the time, but this is a must-win for both men. Yeah, interesting what you were saying about the whole weight thing. And yeah, I, I, if you're going to do some sort of sort of gradual tapering down to 205, the, I don't know if you want to be taking a fight against Jarzinho Rosenstrike, because Jarzinho Rosenstrike is, a, as his name suggests, a big boy. He's a big lad. He... He weighed in at 260 for his last fight. Junior Dos Santos weighed in at 247 for his last fight. And if he's looking to be working down somewhere south of that, if he's coming in at like 220, 225, that's an awful lot of weight to be conceding to someone like Jorginho Rosenstreich, who he doesn't, you know, I, I think he cuts just a little bit just to make sure he's okay. But he's 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 right at the sharp end of sort of, you know, that heavyweight limit. So, and he's, he, he, he's a monster in the standup. I think you want to be as, as solid and as strong as you, as, as you possibly can be. Unless Junior is suddenly going to decide he's Floyd Mayweather and he's going to dance around the small cage and uh, somehow not get hit. Um, I just, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm concerned for him in this fight. Um, I really am. And, uh, the prospect of him fighting at light heavyweight, I think, is an interesting one. If he can make it, I just think that this is this could be a potentially really damaging fight for him. Um, if he is working his way down and he ends up conceding 30, 40 pounds to a guy who knocks people out in the first round more often than not. Um, I, and this is a guy, you know, in, in, in JDS who doesn't really go for takedowns. He, you know, he just likes to stand and throw. It worries me. Let's put it like that. And I think uh, all signs, I mean, go out and slap all your money on Julia Dos Santos after what I'm about to say. All signs are pointing towards a Josinho Rosenstroke victory on Saturday night, I believe. But uh, we will see how all of that shakes out. Uh, the other fight on that main card um, at Bantamweight, talking about Sean O'Malley earlier, John Dodson, is taking on Mirab Dvalishvili. Mirab actually wanted to fight Sean O'Malley um, and has called him out twice before. Um, that could be a fight for further down the line. Who knows? He's on his way up. If he can get past John Dodson, that is a huge scout for Mirab Dvalishvili, um, who is very talented, very solid, gets you down on the ground, controls you. He's got great posture. But trying to catch John Dodson, it's like watching Rocky chasing the chicken around. You know, it's like, how are you going to get your hands on him? He's like grease lightning. So I don't know how this fight's going to go. I mean, I can imagine Dodson nicking it. I've picked Merab on the staff picks at Junkie because I just think he might be the better fighter at this point. But 
he's got to catch him first. The small cage is the one thing that I think is in his favour. Um, but two very quick bantamweights are going to be kicking off that main card. How do you see that one? Because Dodson's been going around for... He's, he's been going for years now. I remember when he knocked out TJ Dillashaw to win tough. Um, and uh, he's never really quite made it to the very top. But he is a nightmare opponent because he's just so hard to pin down. Yeah, the one knock you'd have on John Dodson is just not being consistent. He is Mr. Inconsistency. He's just alternated wins and losses going back to, to 2015, you know. And had it not been for his win over Nathaniel Wood, he was coming off of uh, back-to-back losses there. And then you've got Mirab, who's riding a four-fight win streak. He's the man in form. And he's the guy that's looking up. He's the guy that's calling out the shorter matters of the world, right? So all indication, you know, points to, to, to Mirab picking up a win here. And I'm obviously picking him to win. I'm fairly confident about him winning this fight. But absolutely on his day, John Dodson does cause some problems. He's still super quick. Um, and obviously he's from the Jackson Wink camp. So you know they're going to have a, a proper strategy for him with regards to a game plan. And, uh, and yeah, like I said, Simon... A lot of interesting fights on this card. We haven't seen Felice Herrick fight in a very long time. She's going to be making her return against Vima Jandaroba. And, um, you know, Jim Miller's fighting. Great to see him fight. Uh, a little bit more consistency as of late. You know, he's been battling Lyme disease uh, for a long time. And that appears to be in his rear view. Um, but ultimately for me, this event, this card is, is so about that main event. It's all I'm thinking about. It's all anyone's going to be talking about. And then literally just underneath that, it's about Sean O'Malley. It's about uh, a potential star in the making for the UFC. Can this guy get another win to keep this momentum running in 2020? Because if he does, then man, like you, you, you are really talking about like not not the next Conor McGregor, but just the, just the next star that's appealing to a completely different demo. This is a guy in his spare time uh, that plays a lot of video games and he's got that esports uh, audience growing for himself. He's a big proponent of marijuana. He's a bit, you know, so he's just, he, he's kind of like, I think I've referenced this uh, on, on this show in the past. He's kind of like the stoner gamers fighter. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like people that like to get high, play video games and watch fights. Sean O'Malley's your guy. So, and, and I, I think with that, there's a lot of um, vendors and potential sponsorship opportunities that probably want to put their brand and, and associate their company with Sugar Sean O'Malley. So he definitely has a lot going for him, especially at 25 years of age. And it's we don't get guys like him come across that often. Uh, so when you do, we definitely pay attention. So for me, yeah, like I said, it, it's Miocic Cormier three, the big the big heavyweight title fight. We haven't had a big heavyweight title fight in a, in a while. And then it's can Sugar Sean O'Malley once again keep that momentum going in 2020. Those are the big, real big news items when it comes to uh, UFC 252 for me. Yeah, that will be live here in the UK on BT Sport. I think with the with the fight that we've lost from the card, everything kind of shunts up one. So I think the fight past prelims, which would normally start about half 11, may start a little later, maybe quarter two, maybe midnight. The televised prelims on BT Sport will be at one, as per usual. Main card, as as usual, 
3 a.m. So uh, get ready, get the tactical sleep in, get the Red Bull in the fridge, coffee, whatever it is you use to stay awake over the course of a fight night. It's one to stay up for, definitely. Something I stayed up for before we just uh, wrap everything up, Sandu. I was up to a stupid o'clock last night watching the Contender series. Uh, I couldn't couldn't sleep for a variety of reasons, not not least of all because it's like a flipping Turkish bath in the house right now because it's so hot. Um, I watched the Contender series and it was a it was, it was a great night. All five winners got contracts from uh, from Dana White, who admitted that he was a bit. He was in a ridiculously good mood. He'd just come back off his vacation. So he was he was like Oprah dishing it. You get a contract, you get a contract. But but um two names worth mentioning on, on that. Uh one from your neck of the woods and one from my neck of the woods, really. TJ Laramie, who uh is from Windsor, Ontario, which isn't that far from you, I don't think. Um, has been doing the business for TKO in Canada for quite some time. Um and uh, he got himself a first round Dr. Stoppage victory over Daniel Swain. He's now a UFC featherweight fighter. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I've watched him loads on the regional scene for TKO. Uh, he looked UFC ready probably three or four fights ago, but he's really ready now. And he's in. So we've got someone from, from your neck of the woods, got a contract last night. And also representing the UK, uh, Corey McKenna, who is trained at BC MMA by Jack Mason. Uh, long-time uh, UK MMA fans will know Jack Mason. He has been around the scene as a fighter for years. Uh, he's now a very respected coach. Um, he was in the corner with Uriah Faber because uh, Corey McKenna, who represents Wales, also goes over and trains at Team Alpha Male. And uh, she put on a great performance to beat... Um, I think she's the LFA champion, Vanessa Demopoulos, uh, who everybody was high on going into this. They thought that she was the best 115-pound fighter not signed to the UFC. Corey McKenna beat her, I think, relatively comfortably. Um, and uh, she, despite the fact she's only 21 years of age, Sandu, is now a UFC contracted fighter. Um, some great stuff on that. Did you see what happened in the main event, by the way? Um, Joe Pfeiffer, man, it was it was a horrific. If if you're a fan of watching things go wrong, then uh, check out the uh, the video of poor Joe Bodybags Pfeiffer, who was actually doing very well against Dustin Stolfus in the in in like the featured bout of the night. Um, got got taken down. Tried to post on, or sorry, tried tried to break his fall with his hand, and uh, dislocated his elbow, and his arm went. All, all degrees of wrong as, uh, as as he went to the mat. Absolutely horrific. Um, hopefully he'll be back up and running soon. He looked like he looked like a prospect. So I was looking forward to seeing how he got on, but uh, he'll have to he'll have to heal up and come again another day. If you haven't checked out the Contender series, check it out. It is it is great fun, and um, a lot of names from that are now working their way up in the UFC. Now uh, that is one of the big real talent pipelines, as well as the regional promotions. It's great. Yeah, actually, last week I missed it because I can't remember what I was doing last week, but uh, I just wasn't around to watch it. But here in Canada, this is the first uh, series of Dana White's uh, contender series uh, that's actually got a broadcast deal with TSN. 
I think in previous years, if I'm uh, not mistaken, it would air on, I think, Fight Pass or it was geo-blocked or something it just wasn't available if it was it was behind a paywall on an ott service like bypass but to have it on tsn which it's like having it on bt sport and it'll be fantastic if uh you know whenever the ufc re-up their deal um or kind of start to negotiate again and if bt sport are still gonna um have the the rights to the ufc you know long term it'd be fantastic for fans in your neck of the woods to be able to to watch that whether it's live or just record it and watch it the next day because it's the one thing I like about the Contender series is just five fights. There's some great storytelling. It's digestible. It's a couple of hours, um, and it's a great, you know, insight into who is coming up on the regional circuit, trying to make their way into the UFC. And as you mentioned earlier on in the show, Simon, Sean O'Malley got his big break via the Contender series, right? Um, so yeah, I watched it for the first time live yesterday. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and if I'm hanging around and kicking it back on my couch on a Tuesday evening over here in Toronto, uh, I'll definitely be tuning into the Contender Series moving forward. But before we call it a day, Simon, we have some breaking news that we have to react to, right? And it's almost advantageous that we're recording this week's episode a day later than normal because per Ariel Helwani of ESPN and confirmed by an announcement by the promotion themselves, Bare Knuckle FC have signed Paige Van Zandt. Paige Van Zandt was a free agent, having completed her obligations with the UFC, and we weren't sure where she was going to go, whether it was going to be Bellator, One Championship, uh, BKFC were definitely in the mix, but I think a little bit lower on the list, if I'm being honest, in terms of where I was thinking she was going to head to. I mean, personally, I thought... It was a banker. She was on a sign with Bellator just because her husband, Austin Vanderfort, is there and there's a lot of big fights. Bellator have a big year ahead of them and they probably have the the the, the pockets to pay her what she wants in terms of uh, ripping out uh, a big check from their checkbook. But lo and behold, Simon, she is now officially a BKFC fighter. Still not sure what the terms and conditions of this deal are, how many fights when she's going to fight, when she's going to make her debut. But just give me your initial reaction to Paige Van Zandt being a BKFC fighter. I think she's made a horrific decision. I really do. And this has got absolutely nothing to do with the uh, the perception of Paige as a person, right? Paige is a, photo- a very photogenic athlete. She's made a lot of money outside of MMA through Instagram, endorsements, and all that sort of stuff. And she said herself, she told ESPN, and I'll quote, I feel like I still have this stigma in MMA that I'm just a pretty face. Um, What a way to prove to people that's not the way I see myself at all. This is a sport where people probably have the highest rate of getting cut open and having long-term scars is definitely something I'm not even worried about for me. Now, that said, and that that is all absolutely fine. If that's what she wants to do, you go for it. But I don't know. I mean, is she a brilliant stand-up fighter? Has she got this outstanding striking pedigree? She could go in there, and I don't. I just think that the upside of signing for a Bellator, where you have the the access to Viacom, 
you know, you are part of the Viacom family, the Bellator family. That's how they that's how they, 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 they talk about it. The ability to to sort of play both sides of the fence. Yeah, you can step in and have, have some fights, but you've also got that other angle, that entertainment angle that I thought she was quite keen on pursuing. Um, I don't understand it. If we're talking purely financial, I would imagine one championship probably had a few a few bucks to throw at her. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe this tells us that maybe the offers weren't quite as forthcoming as we thought they were going to be. Maybe, maybe she hasn't had this massive swell of support. Maybe, maybe BKFC was genuinely the best offer on the table. Um, I find it astounding that given that her husband fights for Bellator already, and everything I've just said, that she isn't now a, a Bellator contracted fighter. I don't know. I mean, is is this one fight? Is this two fights? How many fights is this? I mean, I just, it's weird. It is. I, I just, it just doesn't seem like a good fit. I think is probably the best way of doing it. What I would say, despite my personal view that I think she's made a mistake and she should have signed for Bellator. Um, she is as tough as they come. I've been in, I've been there and watched her fight live. I watched her fight Rose Nami Yunus. Um, I think it was at the Pearl at the Palms. Very small venue. Or was it the Cosmo? It might have been a Cosmo actually in, in Vegas. But again, a small venue. And Rose just took her apart. And, and it, it, it was getting sort of tough to watch at the end because it was that one-sided. Paige is as tough as they come and she faced up at the press conference afterwards even though she lost she still came along she still did all the media that's what she's like and for that she's got my complete respect this is her choice that's what she wants to do you go for it all power to you but if there was a better option on the table i would have expected her to have gone elsewhere so maybe this was just the best offer she had yeah, and I think that's what I'm more interested in is the terms and conditions of this deal. How many fights is it for? Is it just a short-term thing for her to kind of, I guess, uh, experiment a little bit with, with BKFC before she maps uh, comes back to MMA? She hasn't shut the door on MMA by any means. Um, and also, I think with BKFC, I don't know what their TV deal situation is, but I, I'm pretty sure they're pay-per-view only or they go through OTT platforms like the, you know the... the the fight TV and, and things of that nature. So who knows? Maybe she's cut a deal where she gets a a bit of the a slice of the pie when it comes to the back end of the pay per view. And you know she's definitely a needle mover. I tell you what, though, Simon, I'm gonna tune in. I think a lot of people will be tuning in just to see her debut, to see what she looks like, to see how she performs, to see you know what the damage is. We, we've seen Paulie Malinaji and you know Artem Lobov and and a bunch of others. It is unforgiving. There, it, you know, bare knuckle. It, it is essentially bare knuckle. You're going to get a lot more cuts uh, on your face. Most of them, obviously, are superficial. Uh, but when you've got someone like Paige Van Zandt, and you know, you, you've referenced her quote, where the bulk of her endorsement deals is based upon how photogenic she is in terms of being um, a, an influencer on social media, man. That that is putting um, a big risk on your livelihood long term there, right? Uh, so kudos to her for wanting to to do bare knuckle um, fighting. 
and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna tune in. The curiosity levels are gonna be off the charts, especially when it comes to fight week and and the day of the fight. So that that's for sure. They'll 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 definitely get myself and I'm sure yourself and a lot of others to tune in for that first fight. Whether they stick around for the rest of her career in BKFC remains to be seen. It ultimately comes down to how she performs and, and what she looks like and what the result is that night. But um, fascinating news to react to, which we don't get a, a, a chance normally to do when we record on Tuesday. So we'll see how things develop there. And I'm sure by the time we record next week, there'll be some more details that will emerge from this situation. But, you know, it's a rare situation, Simon, where a fighter from the UFC explores free agency and then makes a, a shock decision like this to, to sign for BKFC versus going to the competition, like a one championship or Bellator, which seems to be more normal. Uh, and we obviously, you know, saw Corey Anderson move away from the UFC, not fighting out his contract per se, uh, more so getting um, out of his contract by the UFC, and then and then subsequently signing for Bellator. Uh, interesting move by Bellator. We'll see how that uh, plays out. But yeah, it's interesting times in this sport, especially with the the reemergence of Bellator. And speaking of Bellator, they had a big weekend last weekend. Uh, Michael Chandler uh, got a massive victory, a stoppage over Benson Henderson. Will be remiss. If we didn't mention that before we uh, call it a day here. And again, speaking of free agents, Michael Chandler is a free agent. And boy, would I love to see him in the UFC. What about you, Simon? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I wrote about it for MMA Junkie this week. And we were trying to match make if he signed for the UFC. Who should he fight? Who should that first fight be? And I just went, let's just, let's just stop messing about. Give him Dustin Poirier. Let's have a, let's, let's have a tear up and see just where he fits in that UFC lightweight division. I think he would be a fantastic addition to the UFC lightweight division. Yeah, he could go off and make a truckload of cash in one championship and be the biggest dog in the yard and absolutely dominate everybody because I think that's what he would do if he went over there. He could stay at Bellator, but what's he going to achieve there that he hasn't already done? He's a three-time lightweight champion. Um, It's got to be the UFC now. It's got to be the UFC now. And, And... I hope it happens for him and then we get to see just how good Michael Chandler is. My suspicion is he's very, very, very good and I think he'll be top five with a bullet. He'll be straight in. So, um, And it's whether he can get past the likes of Dustin Poirier, Tony Ferguson. Guys, because I think that's the level you've got to pitch him. You don't give him a sort of 10 to 15 guy. If he's... A, Three-time Bellator champion. He's beaten a lot of good guys. He knocked out Benson Henderson in a round. That does not happen. So get him in there. Let's see how he gets on. Very, very quickly, just to very quickly sort of circle back with Paige Van Zandt, because literally you told me the news as we were starting the show about PVZ, because I've been I've been out all day. So um, he she was offered a contract by Bellator. Just as you were talking, I was doing a very, very quick bit of reading. Um, courtesy of, uh, of of MMA fighting, yes, Scott Coker confirmed that they did offer a contract to Paige Van Zandt. She declined the offer. Wow. So, so either the offer wasn't stellar, or I mean, we can only assume that that that, that the bare knuckle offer was a better offer for her. So, all power to her. I'm looking forward to seeing how she does. Um, I don't see it as a long term thing. But uh, and if it isn't a long term thing, then maybe Bellator's available for her further down the road. Who knows? But but um, yeah, Michael Chandler though, that's a free agent signing that I am very excited about. 
Where will he go? If he goes to one championship, okay, I cover one championship for my job. I'll enjoy watching him. Um, if he stays with Bellator, fine. I cover Bellator for my job. I'll enjoy watching him. But the UFC is where we really want to see him. We want to see the best fight the best. He, to me, is the best lightweight outside of the UFC. Get him in. Let's see how he does. Um, and uh, who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll hear something. I think it's probably an exclusive uh, negotiating period that he's got to get through first, which is normally like 30 days, I think. Something like that. 30 or 60 days. So once he's passed that, maybe we'll hear something. So where are we now? 12th of August. Maybe by mid-September, we'll... we'll have a better idea of where I am Michael Chandler is going to fight next. But um, yeah, I'd love it to be the UFC. Sandu, I think that's pretty much us done this week on the Brit Pack. Big show, loads going on. Massive pay-per-view this weekend. And uh, I can't wait. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a big weekend. Yeah, it certainly is. And for those of us um, who are going to be tuning in this weekend, uh, you know, here's your predictions, you know. Drop a line to Simon or myself. I'm at Sandu MMA on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter, at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. We are at the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter. And for those of you who are kind enough to take some time out of your schedule to drop us a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts, thank you so much. Much appreciated. And for those of you who are also dropping a little uh, thumbs up, a like, a heart, whatever rate and review system is available on your podcatcher. Uh, it's much appreciated. Uh, thank you very much. Ultimately, though, we would love for everyone, like I say every week, to join us at thebritpack.substack.com. That's thebritpack.substack.com. If you go to that landing page, uh, subscribe with your email. That'll be all you need to do. You'll get a, an instant notification every week when the podcast is live. And then from there, you can also then be linked to wherever you'd like to enjoy listening to your podcast. And we do have a lot of big plans for the Substack moving forward down the road. So, um, yeah, Simon, I can't wait, man. DC, Stipe, three. It's the end of the trilogy. It could be DC's final fight ever. We could be crowning the greatest heavyweight of all time. So much at stake. I can't wait for this weekend's main event. It's going to be nuts. And do you know what else it does? It's continuing a run of events that is insane. We've got UFC events every Saturday night for the next 11 weeks. We've also got Contender Series on Tuesday night. Bellator are back in the mix. One championship are up and running. I covered two rising shows back to back at the weekend at stupid o'clock in the morning. Listen, covering an entire show with zero English. The commentary was in Japanese. The on-screen graphics were in Japanese. I loved it. It was awesome. MMA is well and truly back. We've got it coming out of our ear holes at this point, and we cannot wait to uh, get our teeth into UFC 252 this weekend. I'm sure you lot listening out there are exactly the same as us. Get the beer in, get the snacks in, get your caffeine in. Enjoy the fights on Saturday night. It is going to be a huge one. We will enjoy them ourselves, and we will come back and unpack all of it for you on the Brit Pack next week. Yeah.